Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. All right, so we're, we're in a series of messages from uh, Psalms 84. We've entitled The Valley of Baca, which simply means the valley of weeping. So we're going to start again with the fourth verse. It says, blessed are those who do well in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca or the valley of weeping. Your life, there may be no obstacle right now. Everything may look great, but the day will come when the Bible says there's a day of adversity. Uh, There is a time when things are tough, when there is opposition, hard opposition, when things have not gone the way that you thought, right? The valley of weeping. It says they make it a spring. You pass through it. It's not to be where we live. It's to be the place we pass through. People sometimes point to Job in the Bible and they say, well, look what happened to Job. The devil attacked him and this happened and that happened. Bible scholars agree that the book of Job, from when he's attacked to when God turns his captivity, is only between three and nine months. Absolute maximum. Somebody says, well, I'm Job. Get delivered, get healed, and get blessed. Don't live in the valley. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't live there. It says the rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength. The New Testament says it's faith to faith. Let me just say this right off. God does not have a plan for your life that does not include faith. The just shall live by faith. And it's from faith to faith. In other words, the faith that we start with is not enough to take us to the finish line. Your faith needs to keep on growing. My faith needs to keep growing, keep on developing. From strength to strength, each one will appear before God in Zion. Uh, a weightlifter is laying on the bench and the weight comes down. Now, that weight coming down does not build any muscle. Right? What brings, creates new strength is when they push that weight away. The devil hates you. You say, why would he hate me? Well, because he hates God and he can't hurt God. So what he does is he tries to hurt those that God loves. That's you. And his plan when things, when he he attacks your life is not that it's going to bring you new strength. His plan is it's going to destroy you. But when you push that thing away in Jesus' name, when you stand on the promises of, of the word of God, that's when you begin to grow spiritually. If just having problems would cause you to grow. How many of you know everybody would be a spiritual giant? It's not just having a problem. It's what you do in the midst of that problem. Now, the devil's plan is for it to destroy you. Uh, In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is talking about how does the kingdom of God work? And he said, well, it's like a farmer who's going out and sowing seed. And by the way, the, the seed, Jesus said, is the gospel of the kingdom. He says some falls on a path doesn't produce anything. Some falls in the rocky soil. Some, it it gets choked by the weeds. 
and others fall on good soil and it produces fruit. But in the 17th verse, it says, these are the ones who have no root in themselves. They endure only for a time. And afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. When Satan first appears in the Bible, tempting Eve, the first thing that he attacks is the word of God. He said, has God really said? Well, yeah, but that's not going to happen. The same thing is true today. He, the, the devil realizes the key to victory in your life, in my life, is having the word of God planted in our hearts and bringing forth fruit. So notice that the Bible says that tribulation and persecution arise for the word's sake. See, Satan comes to steal the word. So you say, well, how is he going to steal that? Well, if the devil finds out, and he knows, the word of God says, he'll keep you in perfect peace. Right? How is he going to try to take that peace away from you? He's going to try to bring turmoil into your life. The Bible says, by his stripes, you were healed. How is he going to try to steal that word? He's going to try to bring infirmity into your life. The Bible says tribulation, literally the problems of this life and persecution arise for the word's sake. Satan knows that if you stand on that word, he's defeated. So what he wants to do is he wants to steal that word from our heart. In fact, Jesus said immediately, the ones that are sown, the seed that's sown on the path, he said immediately, the evil one comes and steals, snatches that word before they can even understand that word. So 2 Corinthians 4 in verse 4 says this, whose minds the God of this age. Now it's speaking of Satan, it calls him God, small g, of this age or of this world. It's talking about the way people think, the way they believe, the way they live, their worldview saying Satan is controlling that. And, and he's called the God, small g, of this world system. In Ephesians chapter 6, listen to this. For we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. There is a spiritual battle. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. So, so in, in the Christian life, you cannot be passive and have victory. Right? But we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, literally demon spirits. They are a personality. They are a person. They just don't live inside a physical body like you do. The evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of the darkness who rule against this world. See, the demonic spirits, I'm going to say this. I guess I can be nice and say this. How many of you know that our culture, people have lost their mind. They've just lost their mind. You say, why? Because the evil spirits of this world are controlling them. That's why. All right. In, in this world and against a huge number of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So we have this enemy. Now, to, to have victory over the enemy, it doesn't so in, in one sense, it depends on you. In another sense, it doesn't depend on you at all. So 
Ephesians 2 and verse 6 says this, For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from ourselves, but is the gift of God. You may have heard somebody say this before. Faith moves God. I want to just say this. Listen careful. Faith does not move God. God's already moved. The, the, the Bible tells us in, in 2 Peter 4 and verse 10, it, it talks about being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Um, I've heard at least a half a dozen different great definitions of grace. And you say, which one's right? They're all right. Because grace, it's the manifold grace of God. In other words, there's different aspects of grace. Like if, if you look at a diamond that's been cut, there's all different edges, different aspects of that diamond. The same thing is true about grace. Right? But you're saved. Listen, the Bible says that we're saved through, or we're saved by grace through faith. Now listen, grace is what God did. Faith is you're responding to what God did. In other words, your faith will never make God do anything. But your faith receives what he's already done. For example, somebody says, well, my Uncle Bill, he needs to be saved. So do you pray, God, save Uncle Bill? Well, what do you want God to do? Send Jesus to the cross again. Everything that's needed for Uncle Bill to be saved is already done, right? Jesus went to the cross, he shed his blood, he died, he was buried, he rose, he went to heaven, put his blood on the mercy seat, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what needs to happen now is Uncle Bill needs to, by faith, receive what's already been done. So we don't make God do something. It's not just true about receiving forgiveness of sins. It's true about every single, you need deliverance. Well, it's not, you. God, please deliver me. God, please help me. Now, he's already done it, and we receive it by faith. Grace, first of all, it is done independent of you. It has nothing to do with you, right? For by grace, you are saved. You are not saved because of the good things that you've done or the bad things you haven't done. You are saved because of what God did through Christ on the cross. The Bible says in Corinthians 5 that God was in Christ restoring the world to himself. How many of you know you weren't even around yet? And God did it all, right? So it's independent of you. We can say it this way. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. Now, there are things you can do to make you love God less, right? The Bible says you're hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. But it's not God loving you less. It's you loving God less. Salvation, everything God did was independent of you. For it to be grace, it has to be somebody else that has done it. It's not by works, right? It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. 
But the way we receive grace is through faith. We respond to what God has already done. How many of you realize that Jesus paid for your sins and obtained forgiveness for you before you were ever born? The same thing is true when it comes to everything about salvation. Right? Our faith does not make God do something. It's already done. You say, why is this important? This is important because most people believe that they've got to get God to do something. I've got to get God to do something. Not realizing he's already done it. He's already done it. It's easier to receive something that you already belongs to you than it is to try to get God to do something that you're not sure if he'll do it. You are not saved by your works. We're saved by, excuse me, by grace we're saved, but we receive it by faith. And our response to what God has done should be that of faith. So faith simply receives what has already been done. Now, we're going to be in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking quite a bit about faith. And somebody said, well, why do we always have to talk about faith? Well, first of all, you're saved by faith. You can't be saved without it. Secondly, the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. You can't receive from God without faith. Jesus said when he returns, he said, will he even find faith on the earth? God's looking for faith. Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, God will pass over a million people to get to one person that's believing him in faith. He'll pass over a million people to get to one. And of course, the Bible says you shall live by faith. In Hebrews 6, it gives the, the fundamental doctrines of Christ. It's repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Faith towards God. Right? So in using that faith, part of the faith is receiving, right? But part of it is resisting, resisting the enemy. First Peter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. Okay, the, the devil is not the, 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 the sum total of all evil in the world. The devil is an evil, malevolent being, right? And he is your enemy. Jesus said, the thief, that's the devil. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour everybody. He devours ignorant people. He devours passive people. He devours people who cooperate with him. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in faith. Resist him, the devil, steadfast in faith. Other translations say, whom withstand steadfast in your faith. I love this one. Refuse to give in to him by standing strong in your faith. Now, somebody says, when do I resist the devil? All the time. Every time. All the time we resist. Refuse to give in to him. Right? So, 
I think the number one way we can, we can uh, see how to resist the devil is look at Jesus. How many know there's no better example? So Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And then Matthew 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, Jesus is called the last Adam. He is the last representative man. The first representative man, Adam and his wife, Eve, they were defeated in a beautiful garden. But the last Adam immediately goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he was fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. See, God was not afraid of the devil. And let me just say this, Jesus in you is not afraid of the devil. You have everything you need for victory. Now, when the tempter came, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he, Jesus, answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In the natural, you and I are no match for the devil. But with God on the inside and with his word in his name and his blood, we are more than a match. The way that Jesus resisted the devil was with the word of God. That's what you and I need to do. We need to take the word of God and stand against the devil. Remember, it says, refuse to give in to him by standing strong in your faith. So you resist him with the word of God. You resist him by the things that come out of your mouth. Now, the book of James, listen, third chapter, says that your tongue is set on fire by hell. You say, what does that mean? That means the devil uses the words that come out of your mouth to entrap you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. So what we need to do is we need to speak what the word of God says about us. If you get attacked by sickness, you need to talk to it. You mean like say sickness? Yeah, say sickness, arthritis, cancer. Talk to it. You know, the Bible says that Jesus bore your sicknesses and carries your pains. You need to talk to pain. Say pain, you cannot stay in my body. You have no place here. Sickness, I curse you in Jesus' name, and I command you to go. I give you no place. You cannot do this to me. I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love, and healing is my rightful possession, and I take it in Jesus' name. you got to stand. The Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You cannot be a wimp. I know people think, oh, Christians, there's no milk toast. No, 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 no. There's no milk toast, victorious Christians. The Bible says that you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You need to start talking. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, it says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to do his will. To do whose will? Satan's will. Now, when you're doing Satan's will, you're not only not doing God's will, 
You're not doing your will. He's got you captive. Listen, I, I promise you, there's people that are here today that you have said, I will never do that again. And you did it three times this week. I will never do that again. But your will is passive. You do not resist. Right? Notice the Bible says you've got to escape the snare of the devil who's taking you captive to do his will. So your will has become passive. Right? And you cannot have victory and be passive. The Christian life, really, if you look in the, in, in the Old Testament to see a type, it's going into the promised land. Now, when the children of Israel went into the promised land, it was not a flowery bed of roses. There were seven nations there, every one of which was more powerful than they were. There were giants and there were walled cities, and they needed to go in and dispossess the enemy. That is a picture of the Christian life, right? We need to go in and dispossess the enemy who's trying to invade the kingdom of God because you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And there's some stuff the devil tries to bring on your life and your family and your finances and your body that do not belong in that kingdom. Right? But you've got to stand against those things. Notice the Bible says they make it a spring. They make it a spring, right? It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. See, that, 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 the, 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 the danger, the, the, the valley of Baca of weeping can come, and you can just sit back and do nothing, but you will not have victory, right? King, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You know, we talked to, uh, last week about you prepare your heart now. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous. You will have good success. So in, in, in the remaining few minutes, uh, I want to take and kind of look at a template of what does the Christian life look like, right? Now, our series is called The Valley of Baca, but we're going to go to the Valley of Elah in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 17. For those who don't know, the Valley of Elah is where David fights Goliath. Been there at least a half a dozen times. Right? Uh, the Bible tells us there's a, there's a hill on one side, and then there's this valley in between, and a hill on the other side. Uh, if you go there today, that valley is planted. It's just beautiful. Right? And there's a stream that runs right through that valley. Right? Uh, most of the time, there's no water in it. I've been down in the stream, gathered some stones, just like David did. Right? So David gets up in the morning, and the Israelites have been camping over here on one of these, these hills with a valley underneath for 40 days. On the opposite hill are the Philistines, and they've been camping there for 40 days. And his father says to him, he says, take these breads and these cheeses down to your brothers. Now, his three older brothers are in the army. And give some of the cheese and some of the stuff to your brother's captains. So David finds somebody to watch the sheep. And he goes down. As he's coming out, getting down there, Goliath comes out. He'd been coming out every morning and every night. And he comes out. And he says, send me a man to fight with me. Now, this guy's about 10 foot tall. 
um, based on, on, on height and the, 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 the structure, they, they estimate that he weighs between 900 and 1,000 pounds. He's not a little guy. Right? He can send me somebody to fight. And if I kill him, you become our slaves. If he kills me, we'll become your slaves. He says, I defy the armies of Israel. Send me somebody to fight. And for 40 days, nobody's volunteered. Right? The king probably should have. The Bible says he was a head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the country. But everybody, they hear him. And that's not what they're doing. There's no faith coming. Right? All the men of Israel, when they saw the man and they heard him, it says they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So everybody's hearing what he says and looks at him and they're afraid. There's, there's, there's fear, there's hopelessness, there's depression, and they're backing up. But David's there and he hears the exact same thing from the exact same person. And, and uh, the, every time I read this, it makes me think, there's problems in my life that I see and I think, whoa, how are we ever going to handle that? But there's somebody else who sees, hears that same problem, sees that same situation and thinks, piece of cake for God. It, it, it's not the problem, it's how you see the problem. Right? Because you don't see with your eyes, you see with your heart. And what's in your heart determines what you see. Right? So David says, what's going to be done for the guy who kills this giant? And they said, well, he said, first of all, neither he nor anybody in his family ever has to pay any income tax. How many think that's a good start? And then they said, and the king said, he gets to marry his daughter and she's a babe. And he says, count me in. Count me in. Now, listen. Now, Elib, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Elib's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, that you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Isn't there a cause? Listen. When, when you begin to move in faith with what's on the inside of your heart, what God's called you to do, there is always going to be opposition. Always. Right? Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown. And the Bible says, listen, the Bible says, Mark 6, he could there do no mighty work. Not he wouldn't. It says Jesus couldn't. Right? Because of their unbelief. And this is what Jesus said. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and his own house. Right? People look at you and they put you in a box. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, this is what it says. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Right? He says, don't look at somebody and think, well, I've known them and I know their family. You know, people say something like this, you know, well, I know your family and I know where you grew up and nobody in your family and your neighborhood has ever done anything. And I knew you when you were smoking, were you and doing drugs. I knew you and you're getting drunk and I, I never saw you accomplish a single thing. In fact, you're just proud. You're a loser. You're never going to accomplish anything. You're never going to be free. You're never going to have victory and you will never amount to anything. Looking at you according to the flesh. The next verse says this, 
verse 17. But therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all these things are of God. But the Bible says, don't look at somebody according to the flesh. I remember Jeannie and I graduated from Bible college. We're going to go to Mexico. and We're going to go help a missionary down there. You say, well, did, did God like speak to you? Well, yeah. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, that's us. We're going to go. That's, that's the only call we had, right? Mark 16. Right? We thought, well, let's go. There's a lot of people preaching in America. There aren't many preaching in Mexico. Let's go. You say, why Mexico? It was close. We didn't have much money. <laughs> Nothing spiritual about it. All right. So we're getting, we, we come back after we graduate. We're just saying goodbye to my family. And one of the men in our church was like the worship leader in the church that I attended who had witnessed to me before I got saved. He and his wife invite us over for dinner. And, and uh, I'll never forget. It was the first time I ever had been. We had venison stroganoff. Wonderful. All right. We get done. He like puts down his stuff, pushes it back from the table. He says, now, he said, I'm going to talk to you. He said, I could prophesy to you. I could tell you, thus says the Lord, do not go to Mexico. He says, you are not supposed to go to Mexico. If you go to Mexico, he said, you're going to be an absolute failure. You're going to come back in defeat. It is not the will of God. You are not supposed to go. You're going because of pride and you need to come back to the States and you need to get a job. You need to come right back here to Grand Rapids. You need to get a job at Steelcase. And that's the will of God for you. We're like, whoa. Okay. Uh, thank you, I think. I'm not even sure. So we went back, we prayed, and we thought, huh? I don't know. The Bible says go. This guy says stay. Let's go with the Bible. All right. Six years later, he came down to see us. All right. We'd started about 20 churches at that time, doing all sorts of evangelistic campaigns, preaching in a Bible college. And he said, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I'm so wrong. All right. About that time, God told us to come back. We moved back from Mexico. We come here. And uh, the new worship leader at the church wants to have lunch. So we meet at Mr. Stakes on 28th Street. And he said, wow. He said, "Uh, you came back from Mexico. He said, what's that all about? What do you think you're going to do? I said, well, I believe God has called us to pastor a church. You? Pastor? In the States? He says, you have got to be kidding. He says, you belong in Mexico. You do not belong here. You could never, Pastor. You could never stay in one place for six months. What are you thinking? And we are in Mr. State. He is yelling. His veins are sticking out. I'm like trying to get under the table. You are always going to have people that are going to tell you, no, no. You say, why? Because they regard you according to the flesh. They look at you and they've got you in this box. Your family, your past, I knew you when, you did this, you did that. But listen, God does not consult your past to determine where he's going with you. Your past has nothing to do with it. Because in Christ, you are a new creation. David, now he's standing before Saul, the king. They've taken him. And he says... Let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth, 
And he's been a man of war since his youth. So first he had his brother. Now he's got the king. But I want you to know something. You and God are a majority. Right? The Bible says this, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Do you realize there's power that's at work in you? The Holy Spirit is in you. You're a believer. That power's there. Right? Now, somebody says, yeah, but without him, you can do nothing. That's right. But you're never without him because he said he will never leave you and never forsake you. Right? Well, you say, I don't feel the power. You don't need to feel the power. It's there. And it's his power working in you. But you've got to turn that power on. You've got to believe. You've got to confess. You've got to get that power working inside of you. Now, uh, we've got all these. I wonder how many lights are in this place. I'm going to probably two, three hundred lights in here. Right? Now, there's a switch back there. Right? Now, if we come in here and there is no power, oh, what's it say? There's no light. We do not call the power company and say, please send the power. You know what we do? We throw the switch on. Right? Now, is it our power? No, it's not our power. Look, you could put a light bulb in your mouth for six months and it will not come on. It's not your power. Right? It's his power. But it's at work in you. His power is at work in you. Jesus said, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Right? The, the word power, there's the word dunamis in the Greek. We, we get our word dynamite from it. Right? That power is at work in you. Right? But you've got to release that power with faith, with confession, resisting. You've got to release the power. You've got to believe that that power is there, and you've got to move in that direction. Remember, you can't be passive. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, we're surely not done, but our time is, so would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're online, I want to talk to you. See, the difference between Christianity and every religion is every religion has rules that you do and regulations, and you, you, you do good things, and you save yourself. But Christianity has a savior. It's not because of the good that you've done or the bad that you haven't done, that there is a savior who came. Religion gives us lessons, but Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. Christianity gives life. Now in a group of this size, there's always people that have lived for God for decades. There's people who do not know where they stand with God. There's people who one time you lived for God, you've drifted away. And there's some that you've never, never surrendered your life to God. But Jesus said, you must be born again. It's not optional. You say, what does that mean? It means give him all of your heart and all of your life. You say, why? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying all the good things you or I can do cannot save us. But he says, you come to me and I will save you. He is a savior. And today, 
I want to pray a prayer with you. And if you're, you're, you're here today and you're not right with God, I want to invite you to pray this prayer from your heart. All right? And as you pray this prayer, you're saying, God, I want to be saved, not lost. I want to go to heaven, not hell. I don't want to live for myself any longer. I want to live for Jesus. I want to give him all of my heart, all of my life. I want Jesus to come into my life and make me new. I want Jesus to come into my life and rescue me. I want to serve God. I want him to make me a new person, to forgive me. I want him to cleanse me and make me new. And I'm going to turn my back on my old life and I'm going to serve Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud. Make these words your own. If you're online, pray this prayer out loud. Just say, say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my Savior, my Lord, my King. And I'm going to live for him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.